supposed to get to 84 degrees today and the record's 86. Could this be another day where climate change makes us cook? So this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, I am Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Leila Tassi, and Jane Cahoon, who is going to take part of this beautiful day as a day off. Yeah, very <laughs> excited. But here I am doing the podcast. Well, we do have things to talk about, so let's start talking. How will losing a seat in Congress affect the work to end gerrymandering in Ohio? Jane Coon, this is interesting because the Republicans so gerrymandered the state that if we lose a seat, it's pretty much got to be a Republican because you (laughs) can't draw the lines in any way that would cost one of the Democratic seats. And we're about to start redrawing the lines. So the Republicans have got to be worried that their disproportionate hold on Ohio is in jeopardy. Yeah, this is really intriguing because they, you know, they do have a strong hold on Ohio. But, you know, we have to work with 15 seats now instead of 16. And because of this new redistricting process that we have kicking in this year, our expert, Rich Exner, thinks that the this combination of one fewer seat and the new constraints that they have on the map drawing process is going to be like a double hit on Republicans' efforts to maintain their control, you know, of this. They have a 12 to 4 advantage in in congressional seats right now. So even during this era when we've seen Ohio go more red, and the reason for this is, is because these new rules limit how many counties can be split and how. So they're supposed to have like Cuyahoga and uh, Hamilton and I think it's Cuyahoga and Hamilton. Yeah, they, they've got to be like uh, primarily in the same districts. Franklin, I think, is too big and, and can't all fit in, in one district. But, you know, they've split the heck out of these districts now to dilute the Democratic power in the urban areas. So they're not supposed to do that anymore. They're not supposed to divide Cleveland or Cincinnati as they currently are divided now. So they're they're under some constraints here. And now, because the census data is late, you you get the sense that there might be some shenanigans. Matt Huffman has come out and said, hey, I want to put something before the voters in August where we would change the deadlines because the census is so late. But I don't trust them to just change the (laughs) deadlines. It's like, let's change the deadlines. Let's change all the rules so that we can maintain our disproportionate control over the state. That that whole compressed process that he's suggesting, I think, does raise a big red flag. We've got to watch and see, you know, I think they're looking for, okay, what is this actually going to say? And uh, interestingly, Seth Richardson pointed out to me that that constitutional amendment would be the same day as those special congressional primaries, you know, in the 15th and the 11th. So, you know, I don't know if they had they could have an impact on turnout and what what might be at play there. But just something to think about. That's all. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting because Rich Exner did figure out he tried to test some maps, but these were under the old rules, you know, from 2010 and found that really the Republicans would have a hard time making more than nine districts completely safe for themselves. And and you'd have maybe another four Democratic districts and maybe one competitive one or something like that. But or no, I think I'm shorting maybe two competitive ones. But anyway, but that was before, you know, the 2020 elections when, you know, Trump won again and all the 
you know, we've we've had um, even more of a Republican shift since he tested that map out. So we'll just we'll just have to see. Well, Rich Exner loves when we assign him stories through the podcast. And now that we know we're losing the seat, I think we need to say, okay, Rich, do it again. Draw your maps. I think the... he needs that detailed population, that local population data that we're not getting until perhaps as late as September 30th to do that. So I'm sure you won't forget about the assignment, Chris, but I don't know <laughs> but, that he's but, going but, to be well, able well, to. But we could take the current population breakdowns and say if there are 15 seats in Ohio. Remember when he took the, the new rules and said, here's the best way you can do it and here's the worst way you can right. do it. If we did that again, using basically the same population now, we can get an idea of what it looks like with a lost seat. And then we can do it again when we get the actual population <laughs> estimates. So I'll be yeah, looking for that. Yeah, but those are the outdated figures, Chris. Yeah, I don't think that's okay. going to, you know, It'll trying work. to get out of this assignment it's here. It's not going to work. And you're going to be gone the rest of the day. So yeah. your people are ours to control. Oh, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. The full story on that $10.8 million payment that taxpayers will make to reimburse county workers for their pandemic furlough is quite different from the versions offered by government officials. Loyotasi, Cuyahoga County officials were not honest about this pretty much at any step, and it took Courtney Astolfi a ton of work to figure out what this really was about. So let's go through it. Right. So what else is new in Cuyahoga County, right? So, so listeners will probably remember Courtney's earlier reporting on this issue at the beginning of the pandemic. The county insisted it needed these furloughs to offset this, these drops in revenue from sales and property taxes that the administration expected because of the downturn in the economy. But they turned out to be dead wrong about those projections. Like those, those tax drops were negligible. So realizing this error in judgment, Armin Budish is seeking to make all 3,672 county workers whole for their 80 hours of lost wages, and that'll cost taxpayers $10.8 million. So initially in discussing this story, we, podcast members, (laughs) wondered, well, what about the fact that these employees also received unemployment compensation? So they're going to get paid twice for time that they actually didn't spend working. Well, it turns out, They never received unemployment because of the way the county structured the furlough. The county had its workers take the time off, but spread the lost wages over the entire year. They said at the time to lessen the blow rather than have them go two straight weeks without pay. While that might have sounded like a nice idea at the time, it actually robbed those employees of the chance to get state unemployment benefits, plus that bonus federal money under the CARES Act. Uh, which was what, like $500 extra or something like that. Meanwhile, the county saved a bundle because they didn't have to reimburse the state for the unemployment benefits. The Ohio Department of Job and Family Services and the federal government considers the county a, quote, reimbursing employer. That means that the county is self-insured for the purpose of unemployment benefits. They don't pay into the state's unemployment trust fund. Instead, they repay the state dollar for dollar for any benefits paid to unemployed workers. So so let me stop you there before we move on. That's the that's the first dishonesty. They claimed they were doing this for the good of the workers, but it deprived the workers of getting that extra six hundred dollars a week that the county would not have to reimburse because it was CARES Act money and it really saved the money for the county. It didn't help the workers if they had not done that. 
if they had laid the people off for the two weeks, gave them two weeks off for furlough, the employees would have had more money at the end of the year than they have now. So that was a lie. They did not do this for the workers. They did it right. for their own selves and misled us all about it. So now let's move forward to to the next step of this, the reimbursement part. Well, so by our analysis, the county would have been on the hook for $3.2 million in unemployment reimbursements to the state. But the, that cost is whittled to about 800000 once you factor in all the federal aid. So, I mean, the sad part about all this is that, you know, some lower wage earners could have ended up receiving more from unemployment plus the federal bonus payment than they would have had from their day job. But the county screwed it up. So now taxpayers are paying for all of this. What part were you referring to, Chris? Well, but if they hadn't done all of the things they did, we would not have a $10.8 million bill. There would have been a bill. There, there would have been something that the county had to pay to reimburse the state. There would have, ah, it, yes. We wouldn't have saved $10.8 million, but we would have saved many millions. And now this decision to reimburse it's people costing didn't much work, more. by the right, way. They right. didn't work for two weeks. They're getting paid for it. And right. it's costing us all a bundle. And they were not honest about it. They pretty exactly. much lied every step of the way. Right. It would not have cost the county nearly as much to have done it the right way than it is costing now to pay workers who didn't have to work. You're right. And this is Laura Johnston. They didn't even consider like other federal programs where they could have been reimbursed for some of this cost like Summit County did. Like reading that in Courtney's story, I was like, oh, come on, guys. Like there were ways that they could have saved even more money by using federal programs. They just never looked into them, even though Councilman Jack Schron told them to. Right. Jack Schron is the one person in this that could see the forest for the trees and was trying to do the right thing. What what I what this all brings out to me is the the importance of journalism, because no one else, no one else in this town would have figured this out. It took a considerable amount of work overcoming county resistance to lay out what the truth is here to show one, the county's incompetent two, the county's not honest with people. And three, they are dinging taxpayers for a huge amount of money because of their incompetence and duplicity. And so hats off to Courtney Astolfi for getting to the bottom of it. it, What's interesting, this after reading this, I just it blows my mind. We've got this debacle. We've got the failure to request reimbursement for those costs associated with the public defender's office. We've got last week's story about the missing two point four million for the naming rights of the Huntington Convention Center. What is going on here? This is like government functioning 101. Why does every week bring a new story about mismanagement, miscalculations, lost revenue? This is just sheer stupidity and incompetence. And the story they try to tell people is that we're out to get them. They try to turn this into some personal thing when we're doing our job. We're the yeah, right. We're it, doing the safeguarding of tax dollars and they are screwing up every time we turn around. And then right. they say things, well, we have the money in the budget. Well, that doesn't mean you have to spend it. Like, we're not saying they're going to borrow money for this, but, you know, this could be used to build a new jail. Well, let's face it. They put, they, remember how proud they were when they put $5 million into pre-K to get more right. kids in the pre-K seats? Right. This is more than twice that. So mm. if you didn't have to spend it on this, you could put it into the pre-K program and triple what your investment was in that, especially when it's needed now, as we discussed last week, those programs have all closed down because of the pandemic. It, it, this is a huge failure in county government. And it raises questions about, did we really screw up when we got rid of the county commission form? Because, But why, but why do you think county commissioners would be better at this? We, we, that, 
that they, was they were just terrible. corrupt. They terrible. weren't incompetent. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know that it's time to go back to the old form of government, but it is certainly time to hold the people we elect accountable. We've been doing it for 10 years, more than 10 years, and it has been a failure in every way you can imagine. When we had county commissioners and elected offices, they weren't that bad. We elected some crooks. We had a, a corrupt sheriff. We had a corrupt auditor. We had a corrupt commissioner. Yeah, but, but this is the point. The, the entire county council structure is supposed to be a check on what's going on in the administration. That's why they built this system. Who's the way your they county? Did, who's they? your county council member? Oh, good Lyle? question. La- Laura. Who's your oh, county dang! Member? I'm sure does that anybody Lyle on this podcast know who their county council member is? No, because they're anonymous <laughs> bureaucrats that don't do anything. Anyway, moving on. You're listening to to This Week in the CLE. Does Northeast Ohio have a problem with people failing to show up for the second shot needed for vaccinations to be effective against the coronavirus? Lord Johnston, this is distressing news. If people are not showing up for the second shot, they're more vulnerable and we don't get the herd immunity. Yeah, this is a problem in Cleveland. It's a problem nationally. So the the hospitals are keeping track of their no-show rates, and that's what Julie Washington looked at for this story. So we're looking at the three major hospital systems. I don't know what all of the 1,200 providers in Ohio are seeing, but the numbers are ranging from about 1.5% at university hospitals to a whopping 31% at the Cleveland Clinic. Obviously, those numbers change daily depending on who shows up for their second shots, but this is distressing. People are hearing these horror stories about how sick you get when you get your second shot and they don't want to go through that. And they figure they're pretty protected. They're probably fine. But the thing is, with the variants, you're not fine. Experts are seeing a lot of people get sick after just one shot. And we need people to get vaccinated both shots in order to build herd immunity. Nationally, there's this New York Times analysis that looked at CDC data, found about 8% of people with the Pfizer and Moderna shots were not coming back for their second shot. Is it really the fear of the side effects that's causing that? I mean, if you go to get the first shot, you're not an anti-vaxxer. Is it just you've heard nightmares about how sick people can get and you don't want to get it? What's crazy is that nationally, I guess, the second dose vaccine rate is about 75% for all vaccines, like the shingle shots. So people have a big history of not coming back for the second time around. They just figure out one is better than nothing. So I guess compared to that, we're doing okay. But you're not immune. I mean, you're not immune totally anyway, but you're definitely not protected fully if you do not get your second shot. Yeah, I'm baffled by the not second shot. I get it if people just decided I'm not taking this this vaccine. I don't know if you saw the news last night that Pfizer now has a side effect in a tiny percentage of people with uh, heart inflammation that they're racing to figure out. It was a study out of Israel. So I get it. If people hear that and they think, well, I don't want to risk that, even though it's infinitesimal. But after you get the first shot, you've already taken the step. And and I, you know, I guess you just don't want to get the high fever and be on your back for a day. Um, like so many And not, not everybody does. Like I did not get sick on my second shot. So if anyone's thinking that, you know, listening and thinking, I really don't want to go through that. There's a chance that you won't. There's no I haven't seen a study on how many people are feeling sick after their second shot, but it, it depends on, you know, everybody's different. I had all the symptoms of a fever without the high temperature and was able to work through it. It wasn't that bad. Now, the, shing- the second shingle shot was the <laughs> sickest I've ever been in my life for about five hours, but I'm not going to get the coronavirus, I don't believe, so it was worth it. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. With Democrat Tim Ryan finally announcing he is running for the U.S. Senate, 
Will all the Republicans who have been fighting like cats turn their attention now to a common foe? Jane Cahoon, I thought that Tim Ryan might sit out until the very last minute to let Jane Timken and Josh Mandel and Bernie Moreno all scratch his other eyes out because they have been. But now he stood up. Does he become the lightning rod for their criticism? Well, I can't see the Republicans suddenly calling a truce, but their attention has already been diverted by by Ryan's entrance into this race. I mean, I think Ryan just wanted to start building momentum, didn't want to be officially on the sidelines anymore, wanted to, you know, try to get the Democrats coalesced around his campaign. But the the two Republicans regarded as the front runners, we've got former Ohio GOP chairman Jane Timken and former treasurer Josh Mandel. We know they've already taken swipes at each other, but they they've already now taken swipes at Ryan trying to paint him as this ultra liberal supporter of things like Medicare for all and the Green New Deal. But you know, their main focus to me still seems to be trying to be as Trumpy as possible with, you know, Mandel's continued attacks on Governor Mike DeWine's mask mandate, for example. And, you know, it was interesting. Jane Timken kind of played both cards in a tweet she put out yesterday. She was uh, used it as an opportunity to praise Trump for his past criticism of Ryan, because apparently at one point uh, Trump portrayed Ryan as like, you know, all talk and no action kind of congressman. So she she managed to kind of have it both ways to curry favor with Trump and 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 criticize Ryan. But <laughs> you know, they they've got to be focused on this primary because if they don't get past that, they're they're done. I do think I, with every passing day, Trump's influence wanes and it's weird to me how much they are working to get his approval Instead of focusing on what Ohioans are thinking about, it's bizarre that, I mean, Josh Mandel attacking Mike DeWine, not running against Mike DeWine. What are you doing? Right, right. He could find himself on the same ballot. Well, you know, they will be on the primary ballot at the same time. So, yeah, that's true. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is the latest step the Cleveland Police Union is taking to restore the job of the officer who killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice in 2014? Well, Tassi, I guess this was inevitable, but I keep thinking that the police union would say enough. They would realize that the people of Cleveland do not want this officer back on the streets, that, that we've moved on from this chapter. And it's crushing Tamir Rice's mother that this remains a possibility. What's the latest news? Yeah, I agree with you. And so so let me walk everyone back through this. I mean, everyone knows this case so well, but there are some twists and turns that get a little complicated. So the rookie officer who shot Tamir Rice, Timothy Lohman, he was fired not for shooting Tamir, but for lying on his job application about why he was fired from his previous job. And the union, the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, challenged his firing on the grounds that it violated the union's collective bargaining contract and amounted to excessive discipline. An arbitrator upheld the firing, however. So the union then took the case to the 8th District Court of Appeals, and that court in March ruled in favor of the city on the grounds that the union had failed to properly serve the attorneys for the city of Cleveland with court filings. Basically, the union served the city's law department, not the private firm that's handling this case. So now the union is taking the case to the Ohio Supreme Court. And they're arguing that serving the law department should have been good enough. And they're asking the high court to force the appellate court to rule on the substance of their arguments. 
And as you said, you know, Samaria Rice finds this absolutely reprehensible in a statement. She said the police union should be ashamed of itself for still trying to put a dangerous police officer back on the street. Every time they try to do this, they hurt my family and put the public at risk. And, you know, that really says it all. You know, there are two things about this that I don't understand. Why is the union working so hard on behalf of this screw up rookie who I'm sure all good cops want zero association with? Are they just trying to fight to make sure that they don't yield any ground whatsoever in their union contract? I know that the outcome of these cases often have bearing on future arbitrations. So is that is that what's at the heart of this? I mean, I wonder if it might be that they're worried about Loman suing them for legal malpractice because they screwed up and didn't didn't file the paperwork properly. And so they're working to get past this because they have a vulnerability. Oh, that's interesting. I I think it has something more to do with the arbitration process, because remember, we did that whole we did, you know, that that whole takeout on on how arbitration shake out for the police and. And we found that each case is sort of precedential. You know, it, it really sets the stage for that police often draw upon the outcomes of past arbitrations to say, well, this guy did something way worse and you only did this to him. So you can't give our guy that kind of penalty. I mean, but he, remember that? he lied on his job application know, but and they, they fired they, him. I mean, right. it's like pretty standard. You lied on your job application. You got here under false pretenses. You should lose your job. What, what's the precedent they're worried about setting there? They're know. trying to protect future liars. Yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's, no. it's, a, it's a blemish on the entire police department. Here, here's my second the, question. I, I feel like why in the world would Timothy Lohman want to be an officer in Cleveland after what happened? Everyone hates him here. It probably wouldn't be safe for him to be on patrol. He should really just consider picking up the pieces of his life and moving somewhere else and starting over in telemarketing or something, something anonymous. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, point. why is he You're fighting listening. so hard for this? Yeah, I know. Well, maybe he gets a bunch of back pay and then he resigns. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Supreme Court's going to slam this shut and say not a chance, and then it'll finally be over unless you could appeal to the federal justices. I don't know if you can. Oh You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is the thinking behind Cedar Point's announcement that you won't have to wear masks while on roller coasters and other rides? Larry Johnson, this one is a little bit surprising because when you're on a roller coaster, you're moving at very high speeds. So as people breathe in front of you, you are kind of running right into what they're exhaling. What's going on with this announcement? Not only are you running into it, they're screaming at the top of their lungs, probably spitting, right? But the idea is you're outside, it's probably pretty windy, so you should be fine. Honestly, the (laughs) Cedar Point didn't get into the science in their emails to season pass holders, which I got yesterday. Reservations actually started, and when I logged on like 15 minutes after they opened, I was like the 10,000th in line. So people are are putting in their reservations. Rides are going to be at full capacity, unlike last summer when riders were spaced every three seats in a roller coaster. However, lines are still supposed to be socially distanced, which is interesting. I'm not sure why we're worried about lines if we're going to put people next to each other on a roller coaster, but masks will only be required inside unless you're eating and drinking, although they recommend them at all times. I can't see when people are sweating, walking around an amusement park that they're going to want to be wearing masks. You you went to the uh, Cedar Point last year. On the roller coaster, when you're moving at that high speed, does it do anything odd to the mask, like push it up against your face? Or is there some 
discomfort thing that they're trying to deal with here? Because I'm just a little surprised that I don't think I'd want to sit behind somebody who's screaming going 60 miles an hour because it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to breathe in their droplets. I, I mean, unless you're vaccinated and you're protected against it. But but do you remember the mask being a problem on the rides? I mean, the mask is annoying when you're wearing it all day anyway, right? And it's always hot when you're at an amusement park and you're walking around on blacktop, which I think is what people don't like. I don't remember my mask like flying off or anything like that. I just think that Cedar Point got a lot of pushback last year. I mean, they had no choice but to require masks that they wanted to open, but people were not happy with them. And I think I think this is a customer move. They want to make people happy. So, I mean, people can still wear their masks if they want to, if they feel uncomfortable, obviously. But I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people with them on. Can I ask a question here, Laura? Uh, yeah. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you went to Cedar Point last last summer. Are they wiping down like the yes. okay? So it like was, the, you know the 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 thing that you pull down over your the harness sort of seat. Thing? Yes. So they, they would actually in between. They did. They had I, we were they had these towels that looked like they'd been using them all summer. I went in August. And oh I was great! Like, Get new <laughs> towels, but they had like spray bottles of stuff, and they wiped everything down every third run. So it wasn't every time, but that made everything move really, really slowly. Uh, you're going to wipe down an entire roller coaster car. You're going to be waiting a little while. They have so a whole I new thought. scam then. They could set up where you get special tickets to be the first on after <laughs> they clean it. You know, they should just have like a dispenser at each queue and everyone pull their own, you know, yeah, they're on like Clorox wipe and wipe it down and then you get in. Then you don't this have is- one guy running down the whole thing, wiping everything down. Are you I listening, Cedar Point? Take notes. That's right. <laughs> Laura, if you went again today, would you wear the mask on the roller coaster? So yesterday I made reservations for the water park and I will not be wearing a mask there. I don't know. That's a really good question. I haven't thought that far. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How does Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson think a new division in city government can win Cleveland more movie shoots and other events? Layla, I'm kind of baffled by this. He's in his 16th year as mayor. He's got what, seven months left before he leaves office. And all of a sudden, he wants to create <laughs> a whole new division of government right. to go after movies and big events. Did we miss one? Did we lose <laughs> out on something? I don't know, man. So he, on Monday, he introduced legislation that seeks to replace the Office of Special Events with the Division of Special Events, Filming and Tourism under the Department of Public Works. The way he envisions this, other duties of the new division would include easing the permitting process for smaller local events and activities. But really, the focus is on landing big events like, you know, the 2016 Republican National Convention and the NBA Finals and the MLB World Series in 2016. And, you know, my favorite event, the NFL Draft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Jackson made the point that Cleveland is a, is popular with filming companies because of of the low cost for operating and and kind of the you know the atmosphere of of our Rust Belt town and he said you know we have the attributes of a large urban center but the feel of a smaller town I, I kind of think that means like we've got big buildings but it's a ghost town compared to other big cities <laughs> so there's a lot of room to blow stuff up if you want to I'm just kidding. It's always exciting when Cleveland is used as the set of a movie. And there have been several in recent years. I mean, Marvel's The Avengers in 2012 and, you know, one of this year's Best Picture nominees, Judas and the Black Messiah. So this sounds great, but I kind of feel like these are the jobs of the Greater Cleveland Film Commission and Destination Cleveland. Am I wrong? I mean, 
Why does well, City Hall have to pretend they're experts in this kind of marketing? Well, all of a sudden? But I wonder, you know, we've heard over the years, you heard it when you covered it, I heard it when I covered it, that their permitting process for anything is a labyrinth and that there's no one-stop shop to go in. And I just wonder if we lost something or if the Cleveland Film Commission has heard that movie companies would love to shoot in Cleveland, but they can't deal with the red tape. Because this is just bizarre. At the 11th hour and 59th minute of his administration, the aha moment of creating a new division in city government to go after things that we've been getting left and right. I, I, there's got to be a backstory here that we don't have yet. and We'll have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You are listening to This Week in the CLE, and we thank you for that. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Jane. Have a good good half day off. Enjoy the good weather. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of this podcast.